Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good. You guys are lively this morning. We're excited uh, about, uh, as Russ said, the topic uh, that we're going to talk about this morning. Before we get into that, I have one more quick announcement, and uh, maybe it's not even going to be that quick because it's kind of an, an update and announcement at the same time. Uh, small groups. How many people have ever heard the word small groups or the phrase small groups in this place? It, come on, everybody should be raising their hand right now. If you've been here more than one time, you should be raising your hand. So we talk about small groups all the time because we believe, we believe they are absolutely critical to the success and the ministry that happens in this place. We believe that small groups are the best place to live out the idea and the idea of churching, okay? Um, so we talk about them a lot, and we urge our people, come on, get into a small group. Be a part of a small group. Leverage your life into smaller communities of people meeting around Spokane. And we will continue to talk about those things. Um, we wanted to give an update because as we have talked as a staff, as we've looked, uh, kind of come into this new ministry season in the fall, and we're evaluating our small groups and meeting with our leaders, we would like to say that we have never been more pleased with the health of our small groups than we are right now in this current season. And that is something to really be celebrated. And there's a variety of reasons why that is. Um, I think a huge piece of that is we have some of the most excellent leaders in the city of Spokane and beyond. And so we could not be happier with where our small groups are. Now, it's interesting. At the same time, we have a lower number of small groups than we have in the last couple of years. And a lot of that is because we've said we want the best. We don't just want small groups. We don't just want numbers. We want the best, the healthiest small groups. And if they can't be that, then we're unwilling just to prop something up to, to say that we have a bunch more small groups starting. So, uh, so we are really, really excited about where God has brought this ministry, where God is bringing uh, this ministry, and how he is uh, continuing to use our small groups to impact the city of Spokane. So today... We're going to have, directly after the service, we're going to have a, uh, what we would call a small group connection. So anybody out here that is interested in learning more about small groups and being a part of small groups, we're going to invite you to come and listen to that. And uh, we will give a little bit of information about what that looks like and the process to, processes to go forward to get into a small group. But here's where the tension lies. We don't have a lot of space right now for new people in our groups. Russ's group, can you give us uh, just a little uh, update of where your group is at currently? Yeah, our, we love our group. I talk about it quite often up here. And uh, it is, we say this, it's a zoo, but it's a fun, fun zoo. So we have right now, uh, if, if everyone came on the same night, so there's certain times where people will miss, but if everyone came, we have 26 adults and 21 kids. Yeah. So, um, and we've had uh, like three or four people in the last week alone say, hey, could we join your group? Sure. We'd love for you to come. Um, we're in a 1,200 square foot house and uh, there just isn't a ton of room. And we're wanting and dreaming about, can more people step into that leadership role? Can more people say, hey, we'll host, we'll find a place, um, let's do this, you know, because group life Honestly, every Thursday, I look forward to it. And then the Thursdays that I don't, that I'm kind of like, I don't know. Every time, I, I walk away amazed. I'm challenged. I'm encouraged. I'm strengthened. Uh, group life for us is phenomenal. But at the same time, we need more space. 
So uh, that just gives a window into one group, and we have many groups who are in this same place that, uh, again, are healthy and vibrant, but there's a lot of adults and there's a lot of little children. Their group is on a constant verge of a coup d'etat at their house on Thursday nights where the kids just overtake the adults. So, uh, so we say all this to say, let's celebrate the fact that God is doing incredible things through the small group ministry here. Um, but there are some of you out there Think about, pray about stepping into a role of leadership. We are in desperate need of more small group leaders. Desperate, desperate need because there are 20, 30, 40 people that may show up today uh, in the foyer after this service for that small group connection. And I'm going to have to say, we don't have anything right now. We're, we're working on stuff. We have several groups who are looking to start in the next month or two. Uh, we're going to start something called a small group incubator, which is a, uh, a very shortened version uh, training that's going to take place over three weeks, uh, three Sundays coming up in the end of October. We'll talk more about that in the future. Uh, but I, it's, it breaks my heart to stand out there and say, we, we want to place you. We want you to be a part of community. But right now, we don't have anything. So I say all that to say, ask, ask the Lord, is this my time to step in to that role of leadership? All right? Thank you, guys. Anything else with that, Russ? I think not. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Proverbs. We are in the midst, about almost the halfway point of a series on Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 4 is what we're going to be looking at this morning. So if you have your Bible, turn to Proverbs Chapter 4. The reason I want you to turn there, whether it's on your phone or whether it's in, uh, in the text, uh, is because we're going to be looking at it at a more extensive level. Uh, we're going to have you read a particular passage coming up uh, to yourself in a moment. So get there. Proverbs 4, verse 23. This is probably a verse that you've heard many times. If you read the front of your bulletin this morning, it would be a verse that you've already heard this morning. Proverbs 4, 23 says this. In the ESV, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. In the NIV, it says, above all else, at the greatest priority, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So I want to take a moment and just the the key word for today, the key theme throughout the scriptures we're looking at is this word guard. If you were to... uh, kind of brainstorm with me for a moment here. What are other words, synonyms, so to speak, for the word guard? When you hear that word, what comes to mind? You can just shout them out. Protect. What else? Defend. Shield. Keep. Any others come to mind when you... Fortify. Nice. To watch? Good. You might think of words like secure or hunker down. It's this idea of really creating protection, of really insulating something. Maybe pictures come to mind. Here are a few that came to mind for us. Maybe some dude at Buckingham Palace. I mean, that would be a sweet hollering costume. If anyone has it, I'd love to borrow it. But look at that. I mean, it's someone who's standing on guard, someone protecting, someone saying nobody gets past here. This uh, next slide. Yep. I don't know if those two guys are guarding, but they look serious about it, don't they? Yeah. So we think of these, these kinds of pictures uh, or these kinds of words 
to, to really understand this idea of guard. So when you, uh, when you think about these pictures, when you think about the words that were said, the words that Russ mentioned, I want you to ask yourself this question. What do you think about this verse, the verse we read, verse, uh, uh, chapter 4, 23? How does that relate to your faith? How does that relate to your faith? The idea of guarding your heart or, or using some of the words that we, that we read, how does guarding, protecting, securing your faith happen? What does it look like? I'm actually going to give you a minute. I want you to, on the back of your bulletin or on a scratch piece of paper, write down some thoughts about that. Take, uh, we're going to give you maybe two minutes here. So how does guarding or protecting or securing your faith happen? What does that look like? Take a few minutes and, and write that down. All right, I'm hoping uh, there's going to be a couple of bold people out here because we want to hear from you guys. What, uh, what did you write down? How does guarding or protecting or securing your faith, how does that happen? What does it look like? Keeping it strong. Okay. Good. What else? Turning to God, right? And then somebody said something over here. Boundaries. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're all kind of hitting right there. Some things that I, uh, that I thought about is we have to protect ourselves. We have to protect each other. We have to guard ourselves from the outside world, kind of like what you said, Rob. We have to keep ourselves from the world. And, and I would say, <clears throat> in fact, much of our upbringing with faith is often centered around these t- kinds of ideas, these types of ideas. How are we guarding ourselves, guarding our faith from the evil influences from the world around? And I would go as far as to say that, uh, and I've actually known both individuals and churches that have built their lives around how just, just how well they've guarded themselves. Now, this idea of guarding, it is an important theme in Scripture. Let me just read a couple of uh, places where we see this idea come up. Luke 12, Jesus says, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 1 Corinthians, Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong, like somebody said over here. Second Peter, therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. Not only is this idea, uh, do we see this idea or this theme in scripture, but really guarding is all around us. We've seen it throughout our culture. We see it in our own lives. I think we tend to be people who are a little bit obsessed with guarding. If you think about it, we uh, are always trying to protect what we deem to be ours. Let me give you a couple examples. Uh, some of us have homes with home security systems. Some of us maybe live in gated communities to go one step further. Maybe some of us uh, have safes where we kind of just protect our most prized possessions within our house that's secure within our gated community, right? Like we find all these ways to protect. Some of you, in odd ways, have chains attached to your wallets. I don't know if it's so that people don't steal them or if it's just a designer look. But regardless, we, we have bike locks that we use uh, to protect our stuff. Uh, the, my favorite one is passwords, right? I mean, everything seems to be password protected. I have different passwords for each account. I can't remember my passwords. So then I write them down in a document, which I password protect, on my computer that's password protected, 
Just, do you see what I'm saying? There's so many layers, and we find creative ways to try to figure out what our passwords are. We're always in this process of guarding or protecting. Russ has also been a, a huge fan of the club on his car and religiously uses a, uh, a club. How many people still use a club? Raise your hand right now. You've got a club up. Only Russ. No, no, one other area. Yeah. You yes. guys can commiserate Kimberly, after service. Uh, there are entire jobs that are centered around the idea of guarding. So uh, the picture of the, the guy at Buckingham Palace we showed. I had a, uh, an acquaintance when I was growing up. His lifelong goal was to be in the Secret Service. And uh, for those of you who have worked in, uh, in that type of field with the federal government, it's, it's a very, very long process to get there. And he actually finally got through all of the background checks and the polygraph and all that stuff and, and got on detail at the Secret Service and got on detail at the White House, which is like, it is the, the best detail you can get. What he didn't know was that his job was to sit in front of a door at the White House 8 or 10 or 12 hours a day, whatever, however long his shifts were. That was his entire job. He had no idea what was in the door behind him. He didn't know half the people that walked in or half the people that walked out. All he knew is that he was to guard that door, and that was his detail. Entire jobs centered around this idea. Now, we as parents, and and we even spoke about this, uh, or, or we heard it when it was read in the letter, we want to protect people too. As parents, there is nothing stronger than that feeling that I want to protect my child. Mothers or fathers, if you're out there, you have felt that inevitably at some point. Our, our kids are, uh, we have three young boys and our two oldest are playing soccer right now. They're on a, on a soccer team. This is our first year in organized sports, our first year at a soccer team. And in our very first game, uh, my, the oldest of the two, they're twins, Theron was playing soccer. And uh, if you've ever watched U6 soccer, it's a, it's a total circus. I mean, it's not really soccer at this point. It's just a bunch of little kids running around a soccer ball, and they're running into each other and all this kind of stuff. And uh, one of the boys on the other team, there was a big, you know, they're all kind of mismatched in there, and, and, and they're, uh, they're all kind of falling around. And then another boy on the other team finally scores a goal and looks at Theron and, and refers to Theron as a loser. I don't think he was being mean. I just think he was saying, literally, you're losing the game right now, probably, because we were absolutely getting smashed at this point. Uh, not, but none of us keep score, because that's not the intention, right? Yeah, nobody knows the score, but we were losing by a lot. Uh, and so Theron immediately erupts into tears. He's an, he's an emotional kid and erupts into tears. And my wife, sitting down, uh, who's not played a lot of organized sports, kind of looks at me with, I don't know what face she had on, but looks at me and then looks out at the field at this little, I mean, he's five years old. My son and this other kid is five years old. Looks at me again and says, what are you going to do about that? <laughs> it's like, I don't think I can just as a father run on the field and start fighting this young little five-year-old. I mean, I don't think I can do anything about that. So this idea of guarding, it, it is really, really ingrained into who we are. And it's uh, such an inherent aspect of our humanity that in many ways we do it from the time we're little kids. If you've watched anyone at like a little birthday party, you get these kids around, everybody gets a cupcake, I'm standing next to my kid, and they've got to go for something, they've got to go see the presents being opened, or they need to run, go get a drink or whatever, and every time before they go, hey dad, will you, will you watch my cupcake? Right? I mean... <laughs> 
like guard my cupcake while I'm gone. I want to come back and make sure there's a cupcake, right? Or my kids will do this all the time at home. We'll like be downstairs and there's uh, we're watching a TV show or something, and uh, one of the kids will get up and he'll be like, "Hey, tap tap, seek back," right? You maybe have played that before. <laughs> I have to say it now, or otherwise I don't get my seat back. It's it's horrible, right? But we're we're always from the time we're little, we're trying to. Guard the things that we, or protect the things that we believe are ours. As Russ and I were uh, studying the scripture, it's, we, we love doing this because we get to sit down together for the week or two weeks previous and, and study this together. And as we, as we were looking at this, looking at this idea of guarding and, and we're reading through uh, chapter four, we begin to ask the question, what if the scripture here is talking about more than just guarding? So we're actually, uh, as, as we're studying this, we begin to think, well, we're just picking out this one verse, verse 23, really. But verse 23 is uh, just uh, one part of a larger chapter. Now, I think both of us and many of us out here would say, yeah, it's, it's a central verse in chapter 4, but it is just one verse in a larger theme that's playing out. So uh, I hope that you kept your, your place with your Bibles I'm going to encourage you, and we're actually going to give you some time this morning. I want you to go back right now, starting at chapter, or I'm sorry, verse 10 in chapter 4 of Proverbs. As in, uh, just quietly to yourself, or if you want to pair up into, into a, a group of two or a small group of three, read those verses. Spend some time. Walk through those verses. Read those verses again. And try to pick out some of the things that you're hearing, some of the words that you're hearing. We're going to give you a couple of minutes. Do that now. So as individuals or uh, as a small group, read 10 to 27. Read those, uh, those verses and begin to try to identify what are the other things that you're hearing in this scripture. All right, let's, uh, let's start. Uh, and, uh, again, we're looking for some answers here from you guys. Uh, think just first of all, what are some words that you hear that continue to come up throughout those uh, 17 verses, singular words or, or, or ideas, but just one word answers that begin to come up and, and kind of present themselves as central to this section of scripture. What did you guys read? Be aware. Be aware. Okay. Avoid. Sorry, what? Avoid. Avoid. Path. Good. Keep. Don't. Okay. Some things that we, uh, words that kind of stood out to, to Russ and I, light and darkness, path, walking, turning away, journeying. So these words and the words that you, you guys described, what do you think that the author is trying to communicate? Anybody want to take a, a bold crack at that? What do you think that this author is trying to communicate? The importance and urgency of understanding, right? Good. It's a journey, not a single point in time, but it's a journey. Good. So stay on the path of wisdom. Great. So this, I mean, this is kind of where Russ and I landed, looking at this and beginning to say, well, what if this is about something more than just guarding your heart? Yeah, I think uh, all three of those answers really sum it up. There, there's this urgency to what he's communicating. He's stating that you all, we all are on a journey and it's all about the path we choose. Do we choose the path of wisdom? Do we choose the path of foolishness? Do we choose the path of light or of dark? You see this kind of back and forth. 
uh, statement that's happening here. And so um, let's look again, and up on the screen you'll see verses 23 to 27. We want to kind of zero in on those for a moment. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. So you do have this back and forth idea throughout verses 10 to 27. And what we think is perhaps the writer is proposing that the best method to truly guarding our heart is in choosing something. Right? It isn't just about fortifying something. It's about choosing something. It isn't just about bolstering a defensive posture or figuring out how to hunker down and uh, best insulate ourselves from the world. Perhaps the point you're making is what are you choosing? What path are you going on? And there's really two big ideas that we want to highlight in this passage. The first big idea is the word flow. If you look in verse 23 again, it says this, keep or guard your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. This idea of flow, we're given this teaching in this text to guard your heart above all else, guard it. Why? The author goes on to say, because of the flow, because out of it, everything flows out of your heart, out of your emotions, out of the core of who you are, everything else flows. Now, generally, when we think about guarding our heart, we were talking about this before, we think about stopping what flows in. But the author is maybe more concerned about what flows out. So if you look throughout the scriptures, you see this pattern where the emphasis is put on what flows out of oneself rather than what flows in. Let me give you a couple examples. If you look in Luke 6, I'm not sure if this will be on the screen or not, but it says this in verse 45, the good person out of the good treasure in his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? Out of the overflow of the heart, Jesus is saying, the mouth speaks. It's what is within you that comes out, that demonstrates in your words what was already present. Later on, Jesus is uh, having this time, it's in Mark, uh, the Gospel of Mark, he's interacting with religious leaders, all the disciples are around, and they're talking about the way that the disciples were handling food. Apparently they weren't following every religious custom, not as mandated by scripture, but rather mandated by religion. They weren't washing their hands in a certain way, they weren't doing certain things, so every time they touched the food, ate the food, What the Pharisees and Sadducees were saying is that they were becoming defiled. They were becoming unclean. And Jesus made this statement in Mark chapter 7. He said this, And he called the people to him again, and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Later on, he said in that same section, from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, 
wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, foolishness. He's trying to like describe this broad swath of anything that you can imagine that's evil. It comes from within. All of these things come from within and they defile a person. It's this stuff that's already there and what he's concerned about or what he's describing is the outflow rather than just defining what comes in. So when looking at at these two passages that we just read, when looking at the whole of Proverbs 4, it seems that God is concerned with the outflow of the heart far more than what flows in. Now, this is not to say that we should not be concerned with what flows in, because I believe that God is very concerned with what flows in. And because God is concerned with it, I believe that we should be concerned with what flows in. But should that inflow be our primary focus? Should inflow be what defines us as a church or what defines us as a Christian? I would argue that, unfortunately, it has been one of those main defining points for too long, and that in a lot of ways it becomes a centering value or a singular point of identification for a church or for uh, an individual in their Christian faith. You, you think about it in this way, that there are churches that don't allow you to play cards, and that kind of becomes their stamp on this is who we are, and you do not play cards because it's evil, it's deemed evil, or, or whatever, or communities that have banned dances because dancing leads to devil worship, or Christian schools that don't allow drinking or kissing, or youth groups that burn Harry Potter books, and the list goes on and on and on. And these things aren't necessarily inherently bad in in of themselves, but when they become points of definition, when they become the identity of that person, of that church, we can see it with individuals as well. It's why we get in our arguments with each other about what can be read or what can be looked at. It's why we debate what can be watched, or it's why we fight where you can go and how far is too far and how much is too much. But the real truth in all of this stuff is that it's not all that black and white. There's tension in it, right? There's tension in these arguments because some are a little bit more loose with inflow than others are. There's gray in this whole subject. It's why a naked woman in a pornography film is much different than a naked woman in an 18th century painting. We would all agree that those things are fundamentally different, but there's gray in all of that. It's not all that easy. It's not all that black and white. And so we can spend our time arguing about inflow. We can work to draw lines that define ourselves by what we're guarding from. But we would ask, is that the point? Is that the real point? And it seems in many ways it isn't. That's why we want to rephrase this again. Jesus seems to be more concerned about what's flowing out than he is about the fear of what might be flowing in, right? So you'll give you, let's give you a couple examples. I think uh, we sometimes pat ourselves on the back for our ability to avoid contamination in certain things, right? So maybe we're like, hey, you should be really happy because I haven't watched X TV show. I don't know what those TV shows are. Breaking Bad, House of Cards, whatever TV show that you like or don't like because, whoa, I wouldn't watch that. But at the same time, you pride yourself in doing that. At the same time, you find yourself being angry regularly and demonstrating that with your kids or with your roommate or with others. 
some may feel like, man, we've, we have done, as parents, we've done an incredible job of protecting our children from the influences of the world. And yet your kids, on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, hear you slandering your boss. Or maybe it's uh, some that are abhorred by homosexuality but have secretly lusted over a coworker for a year. Some of us pride ourselves with clean music choices but are obsessed with wanting more, greedy, desirous of more gain. You get the idea that uh, we have to examine the flow, not just the flow in, but maybe more importantly, what is flowing out. Brendan Manning made this statement a while back. He said, in the last analysis, faith is not a sum of our beliefs or a way of speaking or a way of thinking. It is a way of living and can be articulated only in a living practice. What he's getting at is that the flow is clearly seen in our living, right? The, the, the center of your faith isn't just your thinking. It isn't just what you philosophize about related to religion or to faith in some way. But the true center of what it is you believe, the true flow of your life, so to speak, is your living, your practice, your action. So if you look at the text again, the verses following verse 23 look like this. Right after verse 24, it says, right up on the screen, wait for it, good. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. How do you know what your flow is about? It was very simple. Look at your speech. What are your speech acts like? What are you communicating with your words? How do you speak of others? How do you speak when no one else is present? What are the things you're saying to yourself, not just to others, but to yourself? Look at your focus. Where are your eyes going? I don't just mean when you're walking down the street, do they go this way or that way? I mean, what is the thing that is capturing your attention? What are you giving yourself to? What is the focus of your heart? What is driving you, right? And then the last, ponder the path of your feet or your ways. Where are you headed in life? What direction are you going in? See, all of our faith, all of our flow can be summarized, I believe, by looking at our practice, our life. Jesus says, out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. Well, out of the overflow of your heart, so comes your attention, so comes your action, so comes your focus, right? So this week, here's a little small group question for you. You can write this one down. Would people say your Christianity or your faith is more defined by what is flowing in or what is flowing out? And what would they point to as evidence of this reality? So asking the question in a small group context, if people, if my coworkers, if those in the area where I do hobbies or if those in my neighborhood or those in this group, if you were to look at my life, do you hear me more concerned about what is flowing in or more concerned about what is flowing out? And what would you point to as evidence of this reality? And there's a second big idea we want to point out in verse 26. It says this, ponder the path of your feet. 
Then all your ways will be sure. We're talking about this idea of wisdom all throughout this series. And it's saying ponder, think about, give careful attention to, consider, focus on this is what it's saying. And what does it say we should focus on in order to have ways that are sure? We're supposed to focus on a path, right? Which implies a journey, which implies a choice, which implies we're headed in a particular direction or there's a movement toward something. So the scripture seems to say we have to consider the path that we are taking. We have to ponder whether we are defensive or offensive in our posture of the Christian witness. You see, Proverbs 4 is uh, saying intentionally, uh, seems to imply an intentional and active movement or journey or pursuit along this path. And like I said before, I think too often people's entire faith is framed through the lens of guarding, not along moving, not along that journey, but along guarding, along this idea of being defensive, of bunkering down, of closing in the shades and locking the doors and trying to keep everything out and just waiting, waiting for Jesus to come back. But that type of faith, I believe, is marked with fear and arrogance and distance, when your focus is protection against contamination, I believe it becomes very, very challenging to truly follow Jesus Christ. You see, the pursuit of Jesus trumps everything else. And if Jesus himself was concerned about contamination, then he probably never would have hung out with many of the people that he hung out with, right? You see, it was those who lived the defensive posture that referred to him as a drunkard. It was those who were more concerned about inflow than outflow that disagreed with the people with whom he spent most of his time. This idea of pursuit, I believe, is where Proverbs 4, this scripture that we're looking at, that's where I believe it's moving. It's far more than saying just defend yourself from the outside influences. There is life in this idea of the pursuit of righteousness, life in walking and finding and journeying along this path. And yet there is death in defensively waiting, death in always working to try to keep the world at bay, death in posturing yourself against everything and everyone else. I had a good friend, uh, I've spent uh, many, many, um, we actually traveled in Africa together. He's a, he's a great, trusted friend. I've spent a lot of time with this guy, and he's a, he's a professor at Whitworth. And he says this often, and this has always been one of the most powerful things that he's ever said to me. And it's a simple question, and he says this. Do you believe you are saved from something, or do you believe that you are saved for something? Do you believe you were saved from something or do you believe you were saved for something? Because how you understand the answer to that question, how you, uh, you answer that question will change the entirety of how your faith is lived out. You see, if the cross was purely a movement to save us from hell, then my guess is that you're disgusted with the world that you're vigilant against cultural influence and that you're defensively waiting for Jesus to come back. And yet, if you were saved for 
something. If you believe your life was saved for something, then my guess is you probably see beauty in the world. That you have a heart for the gospel to infiltrate all of culture. That you're working toward the reconciliation of all things on earth. One of these is a posture of guarding, and I believe the other is a posture of movement. We want to wrap up our time this morning by having you take just a moment to reflect. There's a conference the last two summers that I've gone and spoke at in Pennsylvania, and what's interesting is at the end of every single session, they ask the same question. And here's the question. I'll give it to you. What must I do in light of what I've heard? All of us, every time we hear information, every time we are challenged with a thought, whether it be in this context or in your small group or out in life in general, have to ask the question, in light of what I've heard, what am I supposed to do? So let's ask it now. I want to just encourage you to take a moment in that same place you've been taking notes and just jot down either another question that you need to consider or something specific that you would say in light of considering my posture? Am I more worried about the inflow or the outflow? Am I really considering the path that I'm on? Am I taking a defensive posture or am I actually pursuing Jesus and moving closer to him? So take a moment. We'll give you a little bit of quiet and uh, write down some application. What must I do in light of what I've heard? Let me wrap up by reminding of us of uh, this truth, okay? In our guarding or in our pursuit of Jesus, it is going to be obvious to all of us that throughout the remainder of our lifetime, we will falter. No matter if we're concerned about the inflow, doesn't matter how defensive we're trying to be, it will break down. If we're primarily concerned with the outflow, which is what I think Jesus is deeply concerned with, that also will come up short, right? That's kind of why the gospel is so important, correct? So we believe these things to be true, that we will come up short, that when we examine our words, our actions, our intentions, uh, the way we live out this practice of our faith, we will uh, find ourselves maybe choosing the wrong path, maybe not really pondering well the path of our feet, maybe not really pursuing Christ the way it was intended. And while these are simple truths, there's also a very important reminder That my status, your status before God, is in no way defined by your ability to be good. It's not defined by my ability to stay on the proper path or my ability to defend from anything that might come into my life. That's not where I gain my acceptance. My acceptance, my understanding of my righteousness, my purity of heart, So when we say guard it because it flows and out of it flows good, why? Because of what Christ has done on our behalf. In a moment, we are going to kind of have a little time of reflection, but it's going to be centered on us taking the Eucharist together, believing that Jesus Christ gave his very life so that we might be before God as righteous, not trying to afford in our own ability this standing before God, but simply accepting the gift of Jesus. And so we invite you in these next few moments. There will be stations in each of those three corners. We invite you to come take communion and be reminded 
of the fact that God's work on your behalf through Jesus enables you to stand in grace. Let's pray.